This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. So we can give Joseph a a hard time all we want about being a secret disciple at that point in time. But we can look in our world today, right now, if you are a Christian in Saudi Arabia or in Iran, you are probably a secret Christian. There is a multitude of third world countries that if you are not a secret Christian, you're a dead Christian. Okay, It's just that easy. In our world right now today, some that lost their life because they dared name the name of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea was considered by many scholars to be a secret Christian. Joseph was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was a very strict Jewish religious organization. If they found out that Joseph was a Christian, he would have been kicked out and maybe even killed. Joseph had to use wisdom as to who he would share this with and when he would share Christ. Chances are you don't live in an area where you will be persecuted and killed for Jesus. So are you preaching Christ in your sphere of influence? Let's join Pastor David in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 11, as we consider the character of Joseph. Once Jesus is taken out of the scene, there is that hopelessness that's there. If if Jesus was only a part of my life and He's gone, that's okay, i got the rest of my life to live. I don't want to mess the rest of my life up just because he's dead. But if my life is everything in Christ, and suddenly he's not there, then of what value is my life? How much value is Christ to us? How much import is he in our lives that he is everything and You know, if if I can't serve him, if I can't walk with him, how much of the rest of this really, really matters? The unfortunate thing, it's, it's unclear what happens to Mary after Jesus' resurrection. But the one thing we do know is that Mary Magdalene became the very first to witness the resurrected Christ. And that is so totally awesome. To be the one person of all the people in the world, not as disciples, not, not even as mom, you know. Um, I don't know how your mama is, but if, uh, you know, if I hadn't appeared to my mama first, I'd have heard about it. But, uh, but he appeared to, to Mary Magdalene first. And what a blessing that was. Now, uh, we don't know what happened to her after that, but I, I think it's pretty safe to, to place her probably with the other 119 in that upper room. I, I think that that's probably a, a fair bet that she was probably with them in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. And again, we, we read about that in Acts chapter 2. And yet beyond the resurrection, we don't read her name again listed in Scripture. But you know what? To be the first one that Jesus appears to, that's... That's plenty. That's plenty. I, I think Mary said, wow, what more? What more could there be? Let's look now at, uh, at Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And again, the very first mention we find of Joseph is, is what we read just a moment ago, right following the crucifixion. We don't read about him prior to that. We read about him after the crucifixion, after Christ is already dead is when Joseph of Arimathea comes into at least the uh, the gospel picture. And again, we find his name and we find his actions listed in all four of the gospels. So that's pretty 
powerful too to to again the, the account of Joseph of Arimathea being listed in all four of the Gospels. So we're going to look at at all four of them because there's something to glean from all four of them. You know, we're in in all of this. We're we're expressly told that that Joseph was a rich man and a, a, a disciple of Jesus. Particularly in the Matthew passage, John clarifies though that. He was a secret disciple. For what reason? Why was he a secret disciple? Right. But he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was fear. Thank you. Because he was fearful. I don't know about you. Have any of you ever been fearful? I, I think if, if every one of us were, were truthful, he, even a guy as big as Al said he's been, or I mean, as. Uh, 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 Bruce, I drew an absolute blank. Julie's husband uh, was, is, is fearful. And, and I bet Al's even been fearful, okay? Okay. So that's not an abnormal thing. It's a real thing. He was a disciple of Christ, but he was fearful because he was a, a member of the Sanhedrin, and he knew that, wow, if, if I make this public in this situation at this time, uh, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of problem. I believe that his fear of the Jews was, was twofold. And not only was he a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was a prominent member of the council, it says. So he wasn't just, you know, one of, one of the, one of the guys. No, he was one of the head guys. And so as a follower of Jesus, I believe that both his position within the Sanhedrin as well as his life was at stake. Because, again, those guys weren't playing fair. Those guys were the ones that, that, that sought to kill Jesus. And if suddenly one of them says, hey, wait a minute, I'm one of his disciples, I don't think he would have been around too long. So we can give Joseph a, a hard time all we want about being a secret disciple at that point in time. But we can look in our world today, right now, if you are a Christian in Saudi Arabia or in Iran, you are probably a secret Christian. There is a multitude of third world countries that if you are not a secret Christian, you're a dead Christian. Okay, It's just that easy. In our world right now today, some that lost their life because they dared name the name of Jesus. So we were, we were talking about persecution uh, this week, maybe it was even today or yesterday, and how persecution is not because I'm doing something silly and, and people are coming at me because of that, but because here I am, I'm quietly worshiping the Lord, serving the Lord, and suddenly somebody breaks into my home and either takes my family away or, or takes me away from my family. That, that's, that's real and true persecution. Those, those are things that are happening right now today in, in, in countries all over the world. Right now today... People are fearful, even as believers. Now, we, in, in, in our society, we don't have anything to be fearful of, really, in our relationship with Christ. We can be uncomfortable. We can be in situations where, you know, I might lose my job, and there may be some fear in that. But, gang, it is nothing like the rest of the world has. We can't even begin to compare it. Even as a follower of, of Jesus... He had remained a, a member of the council, and I believe that he had been put to test. He had been put to test when they voted for the destruction of Jesus. 
And one of the great things is, is that Luke tells us that he did not consent to the council and that deed. He, he didn't vote for that. Do you think that there was probably a little bit of hassle that he took with that? That's like being, you know, raised in a, uh, a family of Democrats and vote for a Republican. You know, it's, he moved against the flow and suddenly everybody was wondering, why, why did you vote that way? Why, why did you go that way? I believe that that was probably a, a pretty testy part for him. He didn't consent to it. And again, how much he protested against it, we don't know at this point. But we do know that he wasn't in favor of the decision. Did, did he back down from protesting too much because of fear? We don't know that. But we do know, again, that he did not consent to their deed. He did take a stand where he felt he could take the stand. And for every one of us, we are going to be put in positions in our life. That rather it's a, a, a comfortable place to profess our faith in Christ, to be able to preach the reality. And I, I hope you don't preach to your family. Let me back that up. To be able to share the reality of Christ and your hope in Christ. There's going to be times that that's just not going to be available. They're not going to listen. They're going to shut you down. But there are going to be times that you just need to take a stand and say, you know what, no, I, I can't go that way. I can't, I can't do what you guys are doing. And hopefully your, your maturity, your, your growth in Christ is to that point that you know where some of those lines are that, and, and you're willing to take those steps. On the very evening of the crucifixion, when the triumph of all these chief priests and the, the triumph of the Sanhedrin, I mean, it seemed to be complete because Jesus had died. We find then this, this change, in, I believe, in Joseph's life. Suddenly, this brought his relationship with the Lord, I believe, to, 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 to a deeper dynamic. We read in John 19.38 that, that Joseph asked Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him a position. Beloved, that's nothing that a member of the Sanhedrin would have done. But yet Pilate, I mean, I believe at that time, Joseph says, you know what, it just doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to take this stand. It's, that, it's at that point that another prominent Jewish leader also comes into the scene. Remember uh, Nick at night, you know, uh, Nicodemus that, that came to Jesus. Uh, and again, he brought with him this mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds worth. Now, I've got to stop there, and, and, and I, it always comes to my mind every time I read this. The women are watching these two men prepare this body for burial. they got a hundred pounds of spices, and they figure, you know what, we've got to come back and fix this on Sunday morning, because these guys have done it. That's, that's just my way of thinking. But uh, the, they saw them do that. They saw that they brought a hundred pounds, and still they planned on coming back Sunday and fixing it. So... Uh, Anyway, Joseph and Nicodemus there, they, they work with, with this, this, these spices, and they put him in, in, the, in, in this tomb, this, this hewn rock. And this, this tomb is actually belongs to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea had, had built this tomb for himself, and it was near a garden place, so it was probably a very beautiful tomb, very beautiful area. 
excuse me, it was also near the place of crucifixion because these two men had to carry the body from that. And there's a lot to be said about that. Even when you go over to Israel, there's a place called uh, Gordon's Calvary. And right next to that, this beautiful garden, and there's a tomb there. And uh, again, we don't know for sure, but uh, everything, all the pieces fit really, really nicely, particularly when you listen to the guides. They tell you how it fits exactly right. But uh, uh, but it is just the concept of it. This This tomb was made for Joseph of Arimathea. And they put Jesus in that tomb. Again, this is is now the last we read, or or the last we even hear of Joseph or Nicodemus in all of Scripture. They're done. They're, they're, They're a little place in the sun. They were faithful in that one window, and that's all we hear of them. Maybe they were there in the upper room. I don't know. We We just don't know. But I think even from this short time, there's some things that we can learn from Joseph. Joseph was a man of influence. He was a man of strong financial standing. He was known as a rich man of Arimathea. He had a tomb in a garden place, not just one of the, you know, over in a mountain over here, dug out of a cave, that's where. No, he had a tomb in a a large garden place. He was a rich man, and again, he was a follower of Christ. He had influence because of who he was, and he was a follower of Christ. We find that he was a, a council member. He was a prominent council member. No doubt a, a member of the, the Sanhedrin in, in high standing. And yet, even in that, he understood, he, he grasped the reality of Jesus Christ. A lot of times, you know, the, the battle seems many times in, in Christianity or in evangelism that, that those of, uh, of any high standing, of those uh, who are of great wealth, of those who are uh, uh, of, of great education, that it's, that it's harder for them to, to, to be reached with the truth of the gospel. Beloved, it might be harder for them, but it's not impossible because the truth remains the truth. We don't have to dumb down the truth to get, you know, the down and outs. And neither do we need to exaggerate the truth to get the up and outs. The truth remains the truth. And again, that the Holy Spirit can allow even the foolishness of preaching to touch the hearts of even the rich and the influential, that they can come to Christ. He was, again, he... Joseph himself wasn't going to allow himself to be strangled by this position or even swayed by his peers. When it came to that council's decision to kill Jesus, he had not consented to their decision and deed. How much are you persuaded by your your peers in situations? How much are you persuaded or even set in place by a position that you might have that, oh, gee, if I take this stand, that that might ruin my position or my possibility for a position. For a lot of people, man, that that goes through their brain way, way too often. I don't dare take a stand for Christ. I I might not get that promotion. I I don't dare uh, draw the line in the sand. Suddenly my peers will will no longer like me anymore, and and my, my life will change too dramatically. Let me tell you this, for some of us, uh, your life needs to be changed dramatically. And some of the peers that you have, you might need to get rid of those peers in order that you might stand strong for Christ. Get new peers. People that are on the journey along with you. Part of the man's character was that he was not controlled by his wealth, by his fame, or his position. Why do I say that? Because one of the other things that we know is that he, the, the, the gospel says that he was a good and a just man. 
And so many times, people's wealth and position takes them away from being good and, and just, and it becomes all about them. And I don't see this in Joseph's life. And so for those of you that may have wealth, may have position, don't let that be the controlling factor in your life. Let Christ continue to control you. That the thing that people speak about you, particularly at the end of your days, what not that, wow, that dude died with a lot of money. Or would you rather them say, you know what, he was a good man. She was a righteous woman. That's the thing. That's the, that's that's what we want on our epitaphs. That's what we want on on our tombstone. Not you know he died with a lot of toys. You know because you, we don't take any of them with us. We also see here that Joseph, I believe, had this inner hope within himself. Apparently, everyone recognized, or at least the writers of the gospel recognized, that he himself was one of those who was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was anticipating the coming of Messiah. And if you remember way back at Jesus' birth, when they went and took the baby Jesus into the temple to dedicate him, and remember there was Anna there, the old woman that was there, and she had dedicated her life to praying and fasting and seeking the Lord. And when she saw Christ, when she saw the baby, she went and told all of her friends, all those who were anticipating and waiting for, again, the kingdom of God, for the coming of Messiah. I wonder how much of that story got to Joseph, because I wonder how old Joseph was at this point. I think Joseph, as a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, was probably much older even than Jesus was. Jesus is about 33. Uh, Joseph could have been well into his 60s, which means that Joseph could have been like in his 30s at that point when, when uh, Jesus was born. I, I speculate on these things, and you know, I, I think that, that one little old lady's story, because of her faithfulness to tell the story, could have... Uh, even spark the hope in, in this young Jewish up-and-coming guy that, again, he's looking, he's anticipating the coming of God's kingdom. And now, as he's heard of Christ, now he's become his disciple. Beloved, you don't know what kind of influence your life is going to have in this generation or the next generation or even the next generation. And that influence, unfortunately, is both for good and for bad. Make it good. Make, make what people see in you something that they hunger for, that they desire. And then, along with his friend Nicodemus, I believe that that's when he was able to come and, and took courage. He had, he had someone with him. He was, he was able to take courage and request the body of Christ from Pilate. You know, one of the things that Robert's working with the, with the men's group on, and, and I know that um, what Vic has been working on with, with the men's group on Tuesday is, again, this not only just, just an accountability within men, but this, this partnering together, this, this working together with other men. One of, one of the greatest dangers any of us have, men or women, is, is, is to be alone. To be alone to where there's not a brother or sister that can be our iron sharpening iron, that can be our encouragement, 
that can be that 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 cattle prod when we need it, and we all need a cattle prod once in a while. Uh, those kinds of things that that are in our Nicodemus, I believe, and and I look at these two guys. Nicodemus was kind of fearful too. He came to Jesus at night. Here, uh, Joseph was fearful. He was he was a silent uh, he was a silent witness for the Lord. But yet, the two of them had courage to be able to go to Pilate and say, "We want the body of Jesus." And the two of them took care in the preparation of that body. What a need that is for all of us that to be able to have somebody that we can call on the phone, somebody that we can visit, somebody that we can stand together with in our life, to be encouraged in our walk in Christ. Because the battle is strong, guys. The battle is strong, ladies. And unless there, there is that, that strength of, of again, uh, another person, there with you. It, it's, it's, you know, the word promises or tells us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. For a husband and wife, that, that ought to be two of the strands and God is the third. But even at that, along with that, uh, even as a guy, it's good to have guys that I can call on in areas of my, my wife, to have women that she can call on in areas of her life and to just speak with. For all of us, that's so important. And I see, man, thank God for Nicodemuses. They may come you know, the last minute, but they're there and and they're willing to lay their life on the line too. Well, in the end, we see that Joseph gave something of of some great physical value, great great material value to the Lord. Uh, And there was absolutely no anticipation that he was going to get it back. Uh, Joseph took the body of Jesus and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. He wasn't planning on getting it back in three days. Do you realize that? He realized, you know, okay, I'm, here I, I've made this great, beautiful tomb. I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jesus. How many times in our lives do we give with the anticipation of getting back? Oh, the falseness of the gospel that's out there. Beloved, if you'd give to the Lord, he'll give you back tenfold. Yeah, And, and people are buying in. It's a great investment program. If I give ten, the Lord will give me a hundred. And they're not giving out of love for the Lord. They're giving out of greed for themselves. Right. Beloved, if we could just be people that says, you know what? I'm just giving. I, I, I just want him to have it. After all, he gave it to me anyway. I, I'm just borrowing it. Just give it with that anticipation of, hey, Maybe I'll never get it back, but you know what? It's a blessing just to be able to bless the Lord. Greed should never be within the heart and the mind of believers. We ought to be the most giving people. And I'm not saying that just on Sunday morning when we pass the offering plate. I'm saying that just in our lives. When when we see people in need, do we first of all kind of, oh, gee, well, or do we say, there's a need I can help with that need. And again, the word speaks that, man, you know, if, if we see somebody in need and, and we have the availability to give it to them and we tell them, hey, go away, come back again another day, oh, the Lord says, no, man, that, that ought not be. We ought to be people that are just willing to, to assist and help. It's all the Lord's, folks. If we haven't figured that out, it is all His anyway. Mary, Joseph, and Nick, all three of them, I believe, put everything on the line. You, you, you would think that they could say, hey, it's all over now. I, I don't need to press a point. I don't need to go any further. But there was this boldness that came to all three of them, allowing them to be able to take that, that strong stand, even in the end of things, without any recognizable hope that they would be saved from the consequences of their stand. 
Are you willing to stand for Jesus regardless of what it does in your life? Well, if I really stand strong for Jesus, then my life will be good and everything will be taken care of. Beloved, that is a Western gospel, Western society gospel. That will never fly third world countries. That will never fly in countries that are under persecution. That people say, I'm going to stand for the Lord and it's going to cost me everything. And I may not live through the night. But you see, we need to be the kind of people that are willing to say, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. And in His presence ever live. Amen. The Bible is full of people who followed God, some before Jesus came, some after. Pastor David will share insights from the lives of some of these followers with hopes that our own personal characters will be enriched and that we'll become better disciples for Jesus. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande website. Make sure and check out our Facebook page, log on to theopenword.com, and then follow the link to the Open Word Facebook page. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word.